I want you to listen to Acts chapter 20. So you're turning to Joshua 23, but you're going to listen to Acts chapter 20. And I'll begin reading there at verse 28. This is Paul talking to the elders of Ephesus in a place called Miletus. He's meeting with them and he says to them, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. He says, For I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, the Apostle Paul at the end of his life says to Timothy, do your best to come to me because Demas, who was a beloved friend of the Apostle Paul, a trusted co-worker for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. This morning we're coming to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua, as you know, has been the main character of this book, and he is now coming to the end of his life. By this time, we come to Joshua 23, it's likely that he is nearing a hundred years old, if not past that. The Bible tells us in chapter 24, verse 49, that he was 110 when he died. Now, there was a long time between the end of Joshua 22 and the beginning of chapter 23. Perhaps more than 20 years time had elapsed between the end of 22 and the beginning of 23. And what we have in Joshua 23 is another sermon. Remember, there are three sermons that this book ends with. Chapter 22 is a sermon. Chapter 23 is a sermon, and chapter 24 is a sermon. Chapter 22, he called together the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, as we talked last week. In chapter 23, he calls together the leaders, the elders in Israel. And the reason that he calls them together is because there is a danger. There is a danger in Israel. There is a danger for the people of Israel. A very great danger. And the leader the wise old warrior Joshua himself, the leader of Israel, knows that there is a very present danger. Like Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elders in Miletus, there in Acts 20, Joshua gathers the elders together of Israel and he wants to speak to them because he believes that he will soon leave this world and he wants to gather the leaders to speak to them in order to pass on what he has learned about being a follower of of Almighty God, about being a follower of Yahweh. You see, the people are living in this promised land, but the possibility exists for them to, according to the end of chapter 23, to transgress the covenant of the Lord your God and to go and serve other gods and bow down to them. That is a very real danger. One man said, Joshua is about to die, and he understands that. 
But what he wants to tell them is, even though I've been your leader, you don't need me, you need him. And the question is, what is going to keep the people of Israel from transgressing the covenant of the Lord their God? What's going to keep them from falling away? I have been thinking much lately about the danger of becoming a Demas. As Paul noted there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Now there's, there's not much that's written about Demas, but there's a whole lot to say. Demas, having loved this present world, has departed. In Joshua 23, Joshua is telling the leaders how to prepare themselves and the rest of Israel to keep them from loving this present world. In Joshua chapter 23, we find a message for us. Maybe one of the most poignant, maybe one of the most powerful, most personal messages in the book of Joshua. We are going to learn today how to keep from loving this present world such that we become no use for the kingdom. This morning we're going to examine Joshua's charge to the leaders of Israel and seeing that he is really concerned to maintain faithfulness to the Lord. He is really concerned that the people of Israel maintain faithfulness to the Lord even after he dies. And so, he pulls together the leaders. Before chapter 24, pulling together all of Israel and speaking to them and laying on them this individual responsibility, choose you this day whom you will serve. He gathers the leaders of Israel together to exhort them to continued faithfulness to God. And I just wonder what it might have looked like to be there on that day as the old hundred-year-old, perhaps hundred-plus-year-old Joshua, the once warrior Joshua, stands up before them and begins to, to exhort them and who he would see out there. Certainly he would see Phineas. Certainly he would see Caleb and other men who have been through it with, together with him. And he exhorts them to continued faithfulness to the Lord God who had been so faithful to them. And Joshua reminds the leaders that they had personally experienced how God had fought for them and had given them victory after victory. They had been given their inheritance in the land and God had been faithful. We see that in chapter 23. Look at verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted you to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off. From the Jordan to the great sea in the west, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God had promised to you. So he, he reminds them of the faithfulness of God, the past faithfulness, present faithfulness, and future faithfulness of the Lord God. And that causes him to look beyond that to the distant future, seeing how they could maintain faithfulness to God 
who had been so faithful to them. Or like I would like to say, how to avoid becoming in love with this present world. And what Joshua does is he gives two commands to make sure that that's a reality. Two commands that you and I would do well to obey today. The first command is found in verse 6. Look at this. Therefore, or on the basis of that, because of what I've just said, because of the faithfulness of God, here's the command. Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book. That's first one. Be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book. In the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Just as he promised you. The first command that Joshua gives to them is to be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book. Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book. I remarked this morning that if I had the opportunity to preach my own funeral, I think this is the text I would use. Joshua chapter 23. I would say, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book. This has been the maxim of Joshua's entire life. He has been going against the flow for his entire life. The Bible says that as a young man, he began to be a servant of Moses. As a young man, he began to be a servant of Moses. The Bible says that it is in him that the Spirit of God dwelled. And now as an old man, perhaps at a hundred years or more, he's calling the leaders of the people together and wants them to follow that example. And I want us to see very carefully what he says to them. He says, be very strong. Now that word strong is a verb that means to strengthen. It, It can have the idea of being courageous to overpower, but as it's used here, it has the idea of, be, of, of holding fast or holding firm. Steadfastness is the, is the idea that he's trying to communicate. And that adverb, very, functions in this case as a superlative, and it emphasizes the diligence or the greatness of something. In other words, Joshua is emphasizing the necessity of or a concentration of firmness, steadfastness, strength. It speaks of a great firmness with which the leaders are to hold the written Word of God. Firmly get a grip on the written Word of God. And he says to keep it. To keep it is a means to, to keep, to watch, to observe, to guard. It probably, maybe you can get this word picture when we say keep an eye on something. is the idea of keeping an eye on the written Word of God so as to intentionally pr- perform exactly what it says without wavering. Keep your eye on the book. That's what he's saying. 
Keep your eye on the book. This is the same thing that God has communicated to him for so many years. Think about Joshua 1. God said, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. This is Joshua telling them what had gotten him to this point. The reason for my success, he might say, is not my ingenuity. It's the fact that I've kept my eye on the book. What has sustained me and what has strengthened me all these years is the written Word of God. Joshua had one specific focus, and that was the written Word of God. He was thinking here in this text of what would happen when the people of Israel would compromise and begin to assimilate with the remaining Canaanites. Keep your eye on the Word. Why? Verse 7, so that you may not mix with these nations, so that you might not assimilate with these nations. The issue with this, with, 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 with uh, intermarriage with the Canaanites was not an issue of marriage per se. It was an issue of worship. Intermarriage in the day involved taking the name of the deity worshipped by that family. There was no repentance and, and, and promise to worship the one true God like there was with Rahab, but just in assimilating into life, adding the deities of those other families to your you know, addition, to your uh, uh, um, room full of deities, if you will. This is exactly what God warned the people of Israel in Exodus 23. Pay attention to all that I have said to you. Make no mention of the names of other gods. In Exodus 23, 33, they shall not dwell, speaking of the foreigners, they shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. And then of intermarriage, he says, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. Why? The issue was not about marriage. The issue was about worship. Because what you see here in verse 7 is this slow but steady downward spiral. Look, mix with, then make mention of those gods, swear by them. Then the next thing you know, you're serving them. Then the next thing you know, you're bowing down to them. See that slow, steady decline, downward spiral. Joshua is concerned that the people of Israel not become spiritually intermingled with the people of this land. This isn't an ethnic thing. It's a spiritual thing. And he exhorts the leaders to pay careful mind to the written word in order to do everything which is written so as to not get caught up in the attraction of pagan worship. It could be attractive to them. And they're led away. This is exactly what God said to Moses in Deuteronomy 8. If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. What's the alternative? 
instead of mixing together with those other people and mixing together with those in worship, he says, but you shall, look at verse 8, you shall cling to the Lord your God. The word cling is perhaps the strongest Hebrew word that speaks of being joined to something. It's a verb that means to cling to, to join with, to stay with. It's it's used in several different passages. In Exodus, I mean, uh, uh, Ezekiel 29 is used to refer to the way that Ezekiel's tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth. Uh, it's used figuratively or symbolically of a man leaving his father and mother and cleaving to his wife. It's used, and this is maybe most vivid, it's used to depict leprosy clinging to a person. Cling to God the way leprosy clings to a leper. It's in Job 41, the word depicts the scales of a crocodile fastened together. In Job 38, it speaks of how the earth is, is held together. It's sticking close to that. It's the idea of causing things to be stick, to, 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 to be stuck or to stick. Keep your eye on the book, he says, so that you do what it says, that you might cling to the Lord your God like glue. Now, we have idioms like this, don't we? We might say that the child is stuck to his mother like glue, or he was glued to her leg, and that's a good picture for us. He's so concerned for these leaders that he's calling them so that they not just melt into the culture and into the society. He wants them to be glued to the Lord. And when I thought about this, I thought about my grandson, Gabriel. He's one now, and he's got a problem. He loves his mama, so much so that he always wants to be with her. And I come, and I reach out for him, and immediately clings to her, lays her head, his head down on her shoulder, wraps his arms around them, and sort of kind of almost closes his eyes to act like he doesn't even see that I'm there. He holds tightly to her. He clings to her. He doesn't want anyone to take him away from his mom. And if by chance, somehow, something happens that I am able to distract his attention and take him away and go play with him or something and we're playing with toys in the other room, if that woman walks in the room and he catches sight or scent of her, it's all over. He begins to cry. I mean, he shrieks out like something terrible has happened. And he reaches out and he gets up and he starts walking to her. Why? Because he wants his mama. And that's exactly what Joshua says the leaders are to do only with Yahweh. To cling to him every time someone or something else comes in and reaches out their hands to you. Saying, come with me. Come this way. No, you cling to To Yahweh, like Gabriel clings to his mommy. And you might ask, well, how can I I do that? And the the glorious thing is that Joshua himself is the example of that very thing. Joshua is the example. He lived that. I want to tell you four ways that you can keep your eye on the Word so that you cling to the Lord. Just from Joshua's life, very quickly. Very practically, the first thing I would tell you this, if you want to do that, surround yourself with godly influences. Surround yourself with godly influences. I read about Joshua in Numbers eleven twenty eight. From an early age, he was a servant of Moses. 
Wherever you see Moses, Joshua is not far behind. Is Moses up on Mount Sinai? Joshua is there. Is Moses in the tent of meeting? Joshua is there. Is Moses getting ready to lead the people into battle? Joshua is there. If you want to be able to keep your eye on the book so that you don't become attracted to the ways of this world, surround yourself with godly influences. I mean, he's always with Moses. He's with Caleb. He's with these godly men. Surround yourself with godly influences. The second thing I'd tell you is this. Spend, personal, spend time in personal fellowship with God. I'm not going to turn there, but just write down next to this, Exodus 33, 11. Exodus 33, 11. Go read that this afternoon. And you'll find that when Moses went into the tent of meeting, all of the other people stood at their tents at attention while God met with Moses, right? But Moses, uh, Joshua was right there with Moses. And when Moses left that tent, you know what it says about Joshua? The young man Joshua would not depart from that tent. As a young man, He spent time in fellowship with God. Surround yourself with godly influences. Spend time, personal time, in fellowship with the Lord. I'd tell you fourthly, be willing to obey no matter the cost. Be willing to obey no matter the cost. Exodus 17.10, I think it is. Moses says to Joshua, we've got to go out and fight the Amalekites. And you know what it says? So Joshua went to fight the Amalekites. He just went. Be willing to obey no matter what it costs you. Surround yourself with godly influence. Spend personal time in fellowship with the Lord. Be willing to obey no matter what the cost. And number four, trust God's promise even when everyone else doesn't. Numbers 14, remember what happens? The 12 men went to spy on Canaan. Canaan 10 were bad and two were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good, right? Two men. They, they, all, they all saw the same thing. They all saw the same land. They all saw the same giants. But two men looked at God's promise over that land and said, we can go. In fact, when the, when the ten who wanted to discourage the, the, the people from going over, when they tried to discourage them, Caleb and Joshua tore their clothes. They were, they were, they were weeping. They were, in, they were in, in mourning, grieving over this because they trusted the promises of God. Trust the promises of God when everyone else isn't. I'll tell you, if you want to keep your eye on the Word so that you cling to the Lord like glue, so that you cling to the Lord like Gabriel clings to his mama, you do these four things. Surround yourself with godly influences. Spend personal time in fellowship with the Lord. Uh, Be willing to obey no matter what the cost. And trust the promises of God when everyone else isn't. There's a reminder at the end of this text in verse 9. It's it's a not so subtle reminder. You know, you, you shall cling to the Lord your God. Why cling to Him? Why cling to Him as opposed to mixing and, 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 and mingling with the gods of this world. He said, verse 9, for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. There's that subtle inference that God is stronger than they anyway. God is mightier than they are. God is the one who is, who is exclusive. He is the one who is superior and that's demonstrated by His great strength. If you want to be avoid loving this present world, 
then be very strong, be very firm in keeping and doing all that is in the book. Number two, verse 11. Here's the command, the second command. Number two, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. That's the second command. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they take with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. He calls the elders of Israel to be sure to exercise great care in terms of their love for Yahweh. You see what he says? Be very careful. It's a word that means to be circumspect. Let me, let me give you some synonyms for this. Cautious, wary, careful, guarded, watchful, alert, attentive, heedful, judicious, prudent, observant, vigilant. Yeah, but what does it mean? Well, let me give you an illustration. When my mom and dad lived down the road from the church here. They had a small farm and they raised a few animals. And they had a pasture where the, both the horses and the steers grazed. And if you walked through that pasture, you, you needed to walk circumspectly. You needed to walk carefully. You needed to pay attention because there were certain dangers lying and lurking in the field that you didn't want to step into. You needed to be very careful, watchful. There's one. There's one. There's one. You need to pick your way through. Joshua instructed the leaders to be very careful to be very cautious, he wanted them to beware that there were things that could hamper or hinder their love for Yahweh. What is that? Well, verse 12. He explains it as turning back and clinging to the remnant. To turn back, those words refer to changing your mind about something. Be careful. Because you could change your mind about something. About your relationship to God. And you could cling, and there's that word again, you could be glued to the nations. That's the danger. You could become glued to the world. You could come to love the world, the culture. Which you know what that means? It means to give more heed to the culture and more obedience to the world than to Yahweh. You could be in danger of creating a love affair with the world. And he wants them to be guarded because there are dangers to your love for Yahweh. To be circumspect, to be real. Don't have your heads in the clouds, your head in the sand. Don't close your eyes. Be circumspect. 
Joshua is warning the leaders that there are people and things out there which are laying an all-out assault against your love for the Lord your God. How? By offering you an opportunity to compromise on the superiority and exclusivity of the one true God. Hey, you can imagine them saying, hey, if you want to live here, the least you could do is assimilate into our culture. We've been living here for a long time. We know how things should be done. Pay careful attention to your love for God. Pay careful attention. Watch out for the landmines that are intended to explode on your love for Him. Avoid them. Pay attention to your affections. And your love will be demonstrated in your diligent and worshipful obedience to the commands. It's it's not as if He's giving us two separate things here. Obey and love. This is one and the same. You want to you guard your love? You want to strengthen your firm, uh, your, your, your grip on obedience? Then begin to know who He is and what He has done. Let His attributes and His actions drive your love for Him. You see, in the end, you can't separate obeying Him from loving Him. You can't say, well, I love God, I just don't obey Him. But that's what an entire world is saying today. I love him, I just don't obey him. And Joshua says, if that's you, that will make God very angry. God gets angry. Now that's not something that is popular to talk about today in church. God? Angry? No, we, we, we rather have the picture of this, this sort of heavenly genie that floats around granting everybody's wishes, making everybody happy, allowing you to live your best life now. God says, if you mix with them, and begin to mention the God's names, if you, bow, if you serve them and you bow down to them, if you don't guard your love, he says, I'll, I'll become angry. Look at verse 14. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word, word has failed of all the, notice this, good things. That the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the emphasis again. Good things. That the Lord your God promised concerning you. Have been fulfilled for you. So the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things. Until he has destroyed you from off this good land. That the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God. Which he commanded you. And go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. What motivates us to keep our eyes on the book? What motivates us to be very careful about our love for the Lord, I'll tell you what motivates us. The faithfulness of God 
to do what he said he will do. He says, Israel, God's done everything he said he would do. All the good. Look at, look at all these good, the, what God has done. God's faithful, amen? God is faithful to do everything that he said he would do. And by the way, that's, ju- that's not simply the things that would be, we would think would be good. God is also faithful to judge, isn't he? Isn't he? You see, we, we can't look, go around thinking about, oh, God is so faithful. He's just so faithful. I'm blessed and we're wearing our t-shirts, blessed and highly flavored. And we got our bling necklaces, blessed. And we're, everything's just so... God, yeah, God is faithful, but that faithfulness goes two ways. He's faithful to bless and he's faithful to punish. And Joshua recognizes this. And somehow I think the character of God, the character of God as faithful, is what motivated Joshua all the days of his life. And the character of God, his faithfulness, is what must motivate us as well. Let's pray.